Good morning. Welcome. We're so glad you're here this morning. Well, God is good. Amen. And he's given us this new day that we have the opportunity to rejoice in it and be glad in him to give him thanks and honor for his many blessings this new day. And of course, we also get to look forward to this new week that he's given us. And we know that he's going to walk every step of the way with us. He's not going to leave us, but he's going to be with us and we can have hope and we can have joy in our life because of what Jesus has done in our lives. So I invite you to stand and let's worship our good God who turns our mornings into dancing. I search the world But it couldn't fill me A man's empty grace Treasures with me Are never enough You came along Put me back together And every desire Oh, there's nothing better than you, there's nothing better than you, Lord, there's nothing better better than you. Turn 
Sunday of the month, and it's Mission Sunday, and so we, um, we're going to be praying for Dr. Linda this next month of October, and uh, Dr. Linda sent us a video, so check this out. Dr. Linda had actually sent also a little note that she would like for me to read on, on uh, behalf of her. She says, WCF made a great impact to countless of Filipino people, even during the time of my dad, Conrado Guamada. Our special thanks to Bill and Marianne Hammerback and their family for introducing PGA to Warren Community Fellowship about four decades ago. This year, PGA is celebrating 60 years, and we thank God for bringing us thus far by faith. Our sincere gratitude and appreciation to you all for investing in the kingdom work through the ministry of the Philippine Gospel Association. May the Lord continue to bless you in many, many ways for making a difference and sending loves and prayer to you all. God, I thank you for all of these opportunities that you've given to us to minister to others and to be ministered to, to be able to share our lives and our, our life in Christ with other people. God, it's amazing what you've afforded to us where we live. We thank you for where we live. We thank you for the resources provided. We thank you for the privileges that we have that, that many other believers don't necessarily have. And Lord, with this great uh, blessing also comes great responsibility to be able to take the first fruits of that which you've provided to us, to give them back to you 
for the purpose of your kingdom. And that's what we're doing now. We want to worship through giving. That, that in giving, it truly is an act of worship saying, God, thank you for all that we have and all that we are. We praise you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Remember those walls that we must in shame. They were like prisons that we couldn't escape. But okay, and he died, and he rose. Those walls were like my own. Remember those giants we called death and grave. They were like mountains that stood in our way.
ponder that last phrase, you are more than enough. Have you seen Jesus be more than enough in your life this past week? Thank Him for it.
and how if we took the time we'd be here for the rest of the day recounting your faithfulness even just this past week even just yesterday how you've been faithful in each one of our lives how you've led us how you've guided us how you've provided for us in times of need financially when you provided for us in times of need physically you are our savior our healer our great provider You are the one that we worship this morning. You are the one that we remind ourselves of your greatness and your goodness and how majestic you truly are. The one true God. The only one that is wise and omnipotent. And we bow our knee at your footstool this morning as we've lifted our praise and worship to you and crown you as our soon coming King. Holy Spirit, teach us now as we open your word we open our eyes our ears and our hearts to receive your word this morning in jesus name amen well if you would open up your bibles to joshua chapter 14 as we continue at learning these lessons of israel in the land of canaan this morning we're going to take a look at a guy by the name of caleb and and his heart to serve So what does it really mean to serve God? If someone was to ask you, hey, what does it mean? You you talk about serving God. What does it mean to serve God? How would you answer them? How would you respond? My definition that I wrote is to serve God is to love Him with all that we are in obeying and enjoying a personal devotional relationship with Him from the time that I have come to know Him until the end of my days. It really is this, this concept of dedicating your life out of a loving relationship to respond to God, to what God is doing. The problem is, in our world, when we hear the word serve, what, what comes to mind? Slavery. Slavery. Because we have this Western concept and this idea that we've adopted from a human perspective, that if I'm serving someone, then I'm a slave to them. If you're a wife and you're serving your husband, now all you ladies, the hair went up on the back of your neck. You're in a relationship with them and you are devoting actions of love unto them. Husbands, if you're serving your wife, and the men are all going, I do that. Yep. I bet you do. We, we have this kind of weird idea from a Western mindset because it runs through a filter of the flesh. That to serve one is to be a slave of that one. But from a biblical standpoint, when you are serving one, especially God, you're fulfilling your divine calling in a reciprocal relationship of giving out love towards the other. Within this relationship of serving one another. And you think about this. 
Jesus is probably the greatest example of a servant. But was Jesus a slave? No. He served the Father. He served God and served the Father by obeying His will. But He was never a slave. He obeyed everything that the Father told Him to out of a loving relationship. He's the greatest servant of all for sure. And so service is always an act of love. I would say this. If you are not serving out of the act of love, out of the emotion of love and the connection of love, you're not really serving. You're really not serving, at least from a biblical standpoint. And so we're going to take a look at, at, Josh, or at, at Caleb today and, and how he was a servant of the Lord and the reward that he got. Now, to kind of refresh your mind, Israel has come into this land... And they've conquered the land. They had the northern campaign, the southern campaign. Joshua has been leading the nation of Israel into this land. And now it's time for everybody to receive their inheritance. Moses had already given out to two and a half tribes the inheritance on the Transjordanian side or the east side of the Jordan. It was Reuben, Gad, and half of Manasseh. The other nine and a half tribes still have to get their land or their inheritance within that land. As we studied last week, Joshua is preparing to pass on the responsibility of the land to the people, to the clansmen, to the tribes within this. And within this, we're going to see that they are serving. Joshua is coming to an end of his days. Caleb also is coming to an end of his days. Now, as I was studying this, I had this idea, as I often do, because I get kind of weird ideas. And I thought, where in the Bible does it ever talk about retirement? That's kind of a random thought, isn't it? But Joshua is, you know, 100 years old. Caleb's 85 years old and they're passing on. So does the Bible ever say anything about retirement? The answer is yes. One place. There is only one passage in the Bible that talks about officially having a retirement and that's in Numbers 8.25. And you can kind of take a look at it. It's the only passage that's there. And it's in the establishment of the Levites. And the Levites had a span of which they were to, to serve, according to Numbers. As the Levites were selected, they were selected to serve from the age of 25 to the age of 50. And the text says that after 50, they may retire. And then they can come back and they can volunteer their service. But after 50, they're done. You know Why? Because they were having to build the tabernacle and pick it up and move it. And they were having to tear it down all the time as they moved. It was very labor intensive. And so they would start working when they were 25. They would retire when they're 50. And then if they wanted to, they could come back and they could serve that. That's the only place of retirement. And, and so then I thought, okay, well, what about these old people? I'm going to pick on you all, you old people. Some of you guys go, well, I'm old. I'm retired. Are you as old as Adam, who lived to be 930 years? Are you as old as Enoch, who lived 962 years? Are you as old as Methuselah, who was 969 years? And some of you this morning are going, yeah, I feel that old. How about Noah, 950 years? They didn't retire. Moses, 120 years old. Abraham, 175 years old. Caleb, today as we'll see. 85, and he wants to go fight giants. So if you go, well, I'm old, I'm too old to do ministry, I'm too old to do this, the answer is what? No, you're not. 
There is no retirement. God calls you to continue to serve the Lord. Your capacity may change, but you are, as long as you're breathing, you're still called to serve the Lord, and God has a great reward for you. And as Joshua and Caleb are coming to an end of, of their ministry, one of the things that I think is so important as we take a look at Joshua and Caleb, especially today, because they are two people that, that have a unique relationship, different than anybody else in, in Israel. And, and we'll unpack that in a little bit. But one of the things that I think is important to understand is the faithfulness of them. In order to be faithful, faithfulness is only tested over a period of time. A long period of time. And Caleb will have 45 years of service. And he gets his reward. Those that are faithful to the Lord are going to be blessed by the Lord for their faithfulness. When I die and I get to heaven, what I want to hear? Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in. That's what I want to hear. We're going to stand and we're going to read through uh, Joshua's account here in, in Joshua 14, 1 through 15. So we know where we're going. The Holy Spirit can do the teaching. In Joshua 14, 1, it says, Now these are the territories which the sons of Israel inherited in the land of Canaan, which Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun, and the heads of the households of the tribes of the sons of Israel, apportioned to them for an inheritance by lot of their inheritance as the Lord commanded through Moses for the nine and a half tribes. Moses had given the inheritance of two tribes and a half tribe beyond the Jordan, and he didn't give the inheritance to the Levites among them. For the sons of Joseph, two tribes of Manasseh and Ephraim, and they did not give a portion of the Levites in the land, except cities to live in with their pasture lands and their livestock and their property. Thus, the sons of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses, and they divided the land. Now then, the sons of Judah drew near to Joshua in Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, the Kizite, or Kenizzite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord spoke to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me and Kadesh Barnea. And I was forty years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought that word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt with fear, and I followed the Lord my God fully. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely in the land which your foot has trodden will be an inheritance to you and to your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God fully. And now behold, the Lord has let me live just as he spoke. These 45 years from the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses when Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I'm 85 years old today. Happy birthday. I am still as strong as I was in the day of Moses sent me, and my strength was then, so my strength is now, for war and for going out and coming in. Now when, or now then, give me this hill country about which the Lord spoke on that day, for you heard on that day that Anakim were there in great fortified cities. Perhaps the Lord will, give, will be with me, and I will drive them out from the Lord has spoken. So Joshua blessed him and gave him Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. And therefore Hebron became an inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, until this day, because he followed the Lord God of Israel 
fully. And now the name of Hebron was formerly Kiriath Arba, for Arba was one of the greatest men among the Anakim, and then the land had rest for more. May God bless the reading of His Word. You can be seated. So in verses 1 through 5, what we see very clearly, and it's a repetitive uh, message that we find in Joshua, is that the reward really is in the hand of the Lord. God has already determined what you need for life and what your reward is going to be. What, all of the things and all of the aspects that are there. And it's determined by the will of the Lord. There is this sense of entitlement that has encroached our society today, isn't it? People feel like they're entitled. You owe me. Well, there is no you owe me when it comes to the Lord. When it comes to the Lord, God blesses you. He doesn't owe you anything. He doesn't. Everything you receive from the Lord is a blessing. It's a gift that He gives as a father would give to his kids. And He's gifting this land to the nation of Israel. Now, there's a total of 13 tribes, 12 divisions within this. The Levites are not going to get their own land. Joseph doesn't get a blessing. He gets a double blessing, as we studied a couple weeks ago. Ephraim and Manasseh are the sons of Joseph, and so they're going to get Joseph's part. Twelve divisions of this whole land within this. Question. Who decides who gets what? God. God does. How does God decide who gets what? Based off His sovereign knowledge. Not based on numbers necessarily. Not based on needs or favor or any of these other things. God gives based off His sovereign knowledge within this. Now Joshua and Eliezer are the trustees of this distribution. As was commanded... Moses was also part of the trustees, but Moses wouldn't make it into the land to finish the distribution. You remember, Moses was kept out of the land because he sinned against God. But Reuben, Gad, and half of Manasseh got their portion within this, committed to continue to fight. Numbers chapter 34, verses 17 to 18 says, These are the names of the men who shall apportion the land to you for an inheritance. Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun. You shall take one leader of every tribe to apportion the land and the inheritance. So, each clan leader, whether it was Judah or or Ephraim or whoever, they would all come into Gilgal, which was the center where Israel was first at. It was the place of worship. And they would meet with Joshua and Eleazar to determine the land. And they didn't come and say, hey, look, you know, here's our list of requirements. Here's what we need. No. They're trusting in the Lord, and God's going to deliver it to them. You ever get to a place where you get really frustrated with God because He's not giving you what you want? God doesn't give us what we want. God gives us what we need. And when He gives us what we need, we need to receive it as that gift and that provision within the land. Now, we know Moses and we know Joshua, but who is this Eleazar? Eleazar was the replacement for Aaron as the high priest. We read about him in Numbers chapter 20, verses 26 to 28. It says, And strip Aaron of his garments and put them on his son, Eleazar, so Aaron will be gathered to his people and will die there. So Moses did just as the Lord had commanded, and they went up to the Mount of Hor. 
in the sight of all the congregation. Moses had stripped Aaron of his garments and put them on his son Eleazar. Aaron died there on the mountaintop, and then Moses and Eleazar came down from the mountain. So it was kind of a cool passing of the baton kind of thing, where Aaron was about to die, be gathered to his people within this, and the, the cloaks of the high priest was taken off of Aaron and put on Eleazar. Why? Because the high priest was the mouthpiece, the spiritual mouthpiece between God and the nation of Israel. And then you would have Moses, who would be the social leader, and so those two would work together within this. So here we have in Gilgal, this gathering that's there. Now, Gilgal was the first place of worship, but it wouldn't be long until they, were, they would move from Gilgal north a little bit to a place called Shiloh. Have you heard of Shiloh? Shiloh would be the place of worship where they would gather for a period of time. Joshua 18.1 says, Then the whole congregation of the sons of Israel assembled themselves at Shiloh and set up the tent of meeting there, and the land was subdued before them. So they came in, crossed the Jordan, set up camp in Gilgal. From Gilgal was military outposts and everything was conquered. And then as they were distributing land, they said, well, we need something a little bit more permanent and central. Let's go to Shiloh, about six, uh, about six miles north of Bethel within this. They would go and they would set that up. Why? Because all of the tribes, once they were established in their land, would come for a place of corporate worship, corporate sacrifice. Because the high priest would be able to sacrifice on the, the holidays, the holy days that God had determined in Deuteronomy and Numbers. In fact, it was imperative for the congregation to gather for worship. Hebrews tells us, do not forsake the assembling of the saints as become a custom of some. When you forsake the assembling of saints, number one, you become spiritually weak. Number two, you start losing out on spiritual blessings within that. And, and I had a conversation with youth a while back, and, and they say, well, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. No, you don't. But I would say you have to go to church to remain one. Because it's imperative for you to be in that place of connectivity. If you had a pile of, of, of charcoal briquettes, and they were all glowing red, but you took one out and you set it aside away from the others, it would die off faster than the pile. Why? Because it needs the heat. We need to be together to receive that blessing. So within this, the Lord says, okay, this is what we're going to do. They're in Gilgal, and they're there, and you got Joshua, and you got Eleazar, and the text says that they, were, that they were dividing the land. How did they divide the land? They cast lots. Have you ever heard the term casting a lot within this? So in, in taking a look at, at Scripture and, and what it is, casting of lots was actually something... That was part of divination. It was kind of a cultic practice that was part of the land. And it was one of many different things. They would throw sticks and the soothsayers would read them or these other things. That it's all of that. And God took something that was a practice that was part of these people. And he says, no, I'm going to select just this and I'm going to repurpose it in a way that I'm going to speak through the high priest. Now, the casting of lots was a little bit different within this. Have you ever heard of the Umen and Thurman? There were two stones that were in the breastplate of the high priest. We don't know totally what they were, but it's most likely there were two stones and they had a Y and an N, or the equivalent of in the Hebrew, that were the two stones that were in the breastplate. They were there. And so when the, what they would do, if the, if the priest wanted to know, he would say a prayer and say, Lord, what is it that you would have us to do? He would reach in and he would pull one out. 
And it would either be a yes or a no. And so they trusted in that. Another means was, um, according to the, the rabbinical tradition, is they take these two stones and they were on a flat side and they would throw them. And as they would cast or toss the stones, it would either come up with a, the, the Y up and the N down or the N up or the Y down. But if they were both Y and N up or if they were both down, then the rabbi would stop, reflect and pray a whole day and do it again in doing that. Modern rabbinical tradition has it that it was the casting of the lots within that to uh, determine what the Levitical duties were during um, the temple practice. Every day the Levites would show up for their jobs. And they'd all line up. So this is how they would do it. And I was watching this rabbi and he was doing it. He's kind of a cool guy. And so what he would do, he said, what they would do is they would have all the, all the, the workers, the Levites that were serving, go up and they would hold up a hand. So earlier that day, the, the rabbi would pick a number, say 32, just random number. And then all the, they'd all line up. And so then they would either hold up a, a finger like this or they'd hold up a finger like this or a finger like that, all in a line. And so what the rabbi would do, and they can pick whatever order they want to stand, they would pick an order, and so then the rabbi would go around and he'd count fingers. One, two, three, four, on all, and they'd only do one hand, right? So, so it was a total, and they would move through the line however many times you would have to do until that number landed on the predetermined number. When he got to whoever it was, when it numbered it out at 32... That's the guy that would get that duty. Okay, that's your job. Go. And he would do it again. Very, very random. And the whole idea was that they would trust in, that they would trust in the Lord within this. And so, by definition, God demanded that the land would be divided by lot. Numbers chapter 26, verses 55-56. The land shall be divided by lot, and they shall receive their inheritance according to the names of the tribes of their fathers, according to the section by lot, and their inheritance shall be divided between the larger and the smaller groups. Now, what made this lot special? Because Israel believed that God controlled the lot. God controlled it. Proverbs chapter sixteen thirty three: The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. So, God had determined the use of lot, Israel had determined some practices on using the lot, but they accepted the decision from the Lord. Some people would call this fate. I disagree with that. I believe it's divine sovereignty. Is God sovereign? Yes. There is no luck. There is no fate. There is no chance. Now, I would like to have a conversation with God because I haven't caught my fish yet. But the lot hasn't fallen in my lap yet. But there's still that opportunity. But at the end of the day, I have to accept it from the Lord. I accept whatever happens as from the hand of God within that. And so we see all of this. That is all put together. And this is how the land was to be distributed. Why did Judah get what they got? Because God determined that Judah would get what they got. Now, when you look historically, why Judah is where they're at with Jerusalem being there, you start to see how it works itself out within that. Why do you live in Columbia County? Because God determined that you needed to be here. 
for your purpose, for your mission, for your existence, for all of these different things. You're here because God wants you here. Now figure out what God wants to do while you're here within that. And so within this, we, we trust in the Lord and we serve the Lord within this. Because the servants of the Lord actually can become the conduits of blessing. Within this, we see that Joshua had received all of this from, from there and he rehearses all the blessings, but now it's time to distribute the land. So we come to verse 6 of this, where it's really about the account of Caleb for the rest of the chapter. He says, Then the sons of Judah drew near to Joshua in Gilgal. Judah would be the first land on the Cisjordanian tribes, or those that are on the west side of the Jordan River. Judah would be the first one that the, the lot would be cast to. But prior to Judah getting their, their opportunity within this, and we've got to understand that it's, it's important to understand that Judah was chosen by God to get their first shot. In Genesis chapter 49, verse 10, it says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. That's a messianic prophecy, that the Messiah is going to come from Judah. So Judah becomes premier, he gets the blessing, he gets the first lot casting, if you will, within this. Caleb is from the tribe of Judah. And within this, we see this conversation. Now, here's something super cool about this. You've got to get out of the, the black and white pages of the Bible and really wrap your head around this. Joshua and Caleb were two of the ten spies, or two of the twelve spies that were sent out to the land. Do you remember that? They are the only two left that came out of Egypt that are standing in the land today. Everybody else is dead. And Joshua and Caleb went into this land originally as spies, spied out the land and came back to Moses with a report saying, we can take this. And all the other ten, well, they made the hearts of the people melt. Joshua has been leading all of the military battles, but you haven't heard about Caleb at all. He's behind the scenes. What has he been doing this whole time? 45 years. Standing next to Joshua, supporting him, and serving the nation of Israel. Very much behind the scenes. You don't see him. He's not this big character that is doing all... He's the behind the scenes guy. And now it's time for his tribe to get their inheritance. And Caleb steps up and says, we need to have a conversation with his buddy Joshua within this. He, Caleb was, was a humble servant of the Lord, Numbers 14, 24, and he makes this request. The other thing that's interesting is that Caleb is a Kenizzite. And you're saying, well, what does that mean? The Kenizzites were a Canaanite tribe at the time of Abraham's visit when he first came into the land. You say, well, what is that? Caleb's heritage is Canaanite. He's fighting his own heritage and ancestry within this land. In the arena of Judah. That's where the Kenizzites were from. 
And so he is coming into this land and he's fighting against his own ancestry, these idolaters that have turned their back on Yahweh. And so he's going to get this inheritance. You say, well, how special is that? It's super special. Because like Rahab, like Ruth, the Moabitess, you look at them and you, you go, well, these were like people outside of the blessing. Why is that important? Well, last I checked, most of y'all are not Jewish by heritage. We're all Gentiles. And with that, we are included within that blessing of God, that heritage, that inheritance that is there. And it's been promised for us if we are faithful within this. And so as a reward for his faithfulness, Moses promised Caleb and Joshua that they would enter into the land of inheritance. And they were in Kadesh Barnea where the, the, the spies were there. Deuteronomy one thirty six says, Except Caleb the son of Jephunneh, he shall see it, and to him, note, and to his sons I will give the land on which he has set foot, because he has followed the Lord fully. That was a promise. And in Numbers 14.24, it says, My servant Caleb, because he has had a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land which he entered, and his descendants shall take possession of it. What is the key word that is repeated both times in that passage? Fully. We read our passage and how many times fully was used? Five different times. Fully. What does that mean? Faithful service within this. Joshua would be given Timath Sarah, and it would be the hill country of Ephraim. Both of them would get a special blessing. When you go through the inheritance, and we will, most of the time it was the tribe got this land. But there's only a few times that people got specifically named as receiving this inheritance. Why? Because God was honoring them with their reward. If God was to evaluate your service unto Him, would He consider you faithful? Fully? Remember, service starts from the time that you accept the Lord, you come to knowledge of Him, to the time you go home to be with Him. That is a faithful service. There are people in this church that have been married some 65 years, and I think, of, I think of one maybe 70. And you think about that, that's a long time, right? That's a long time. That's faithful. It is, it is not, hey, I'm faithful because I've been with this person for six months. No. To be considered faithful means you've got to put in the time, the energy. And you've got to focus and be dedicated. And you serve out of love within this. And then we consider God's faithfulness. Has God been faithful? When did He start being faithful? At the beginning of creation. And how long will God be faithful? All the way to the end until He's regathered all of us. And will God continue to be faithful even after what we know of of Revelation? Absolutely. Absolutely. And God rewards those that are faithful. The other thing about this is, is God faithful to His promises? Yes. I want you to consider this. You got a guy who's a hundred years old and another guy who's eighty five years old 
that for 38 years they wandered the wilderness and seven years they go into battle. 45 years and they're still alive. They didn't die in battle. They didn't die of disease. They didn't die of anything. For 45 years, God kept them alive. Why? So they would enter into the land. And not just enter the land, but thrive in the land. They're the only two that made it. Why? Because God is faithful to His promise. Within this. Kept them alive for this day to be able to be in this place. And then I wondered... Okay, well, is it appropriate to ask for the blessings? Was Caleb out of line? I don't think so. He says this in verse 10. Now, behold, the Lord has let me live. Notice he talks about the Lord's faithfulness just as he spoke these 45 years from the time of the Lord with this. What's Caleb doing? He's just saying, now it's time. God gave me this promise, and now I would like to receive that promise within this. Would it be inappropriate for you to be faithful unto the Lord to serve all your life and come to the end of your days and you're about to go to heaven and say, God, I'm about ready to shed this body and into your hands I commit my spirit. I'm claiming that promise of eternal life. I'm claiming that promise that you've given to me to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Would that be inappropriate? No. To claim that promise. Because it was guaranteed by Jesus. Not inappropriate. Caleb is claiming the promise that God made. If God gives you a promise in His Word, it's appropriate to claim it at the appropriate time. Now, I don't get to come up with the promises and say, God, okay, you know, I think it says this, and I'm going to claim it. No. Be careful, because some people have abused it. They've gotten to a place of a, uh, of a name it and claim it and a blab it and grab it and all the other things that they go on. No. God, be careful. God, be careful. This was a promise established within this. So what does Caleb do? God said, I get this land. I want the hill country of Judah. Now, again, Caleb, you're 85. Buddy, come on. I know a lot of older people that think that they can do a lot of things that they can't do anymore. And sometimes you have to remind them. <laughs> you can't do that anymore. Caleb, you're 85. And he says, I want the hill country. He could have slid off into the sunset and say, hey, give me the plains around the Jordan. Give me the, over by the Jordan River this, this, this plains. And I'm just going to sit on the porch and I'm going to have some coffee. And I'm going to watch everything. He takes the desolate place of the hill country. Why? Because he wants to go fight giants. Why? Caleb is tough. He wants to go fight the same giants that caused so much pain and suffering to his people for 45 years. He wants to go finish the job that's not done. This guy, is, is, he's like the Navy SEAL of Israel. He just, he's like, I'm going to go get him. You know? I was thinking about this. It kind of reminds me of like, you know, Sylvester Stallone. You look at him now and what he used to be, and it's like, Hollywood does a good job with that. Caleb, you're going to go fight giants. Numbers 1333 says this, And there were also the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, as part of the Nephilim, and we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, in their sight. 
He didn't choose the easy life. He chose the godly life all along. And he says, give me this hill country. I will drive them out and perhaps the Lord will give me help. He's not quitting. I love that. I love the fact that he didn't, he didn't consider his age to be something. And then I got to thinking, okay, well, what about giants? We always hear about giants and there's always this argument about you know, angels and, and having sex with men and creating these giants and all of that. There's lots of debates on this. This, t- this phrase giant is used four different times. The Nephilim, first mentioned in Genesis 6, 1 through 4, in Numbers 13. The Anakin, Eman, and Zuzim in Deuteronomy chapter 2. The Rephaim in Deuteronomy 2. And these were the Amorites that were, that were under Og, the king of Bashan. and they were great guys. But the most prominent that we know is the Philistines and Goliath from Gath. 1 Samuel 17, within this. Were there giants? The answer is yes. Archaeologists have discovered skeletal structures of those that were part of the land dating back during these days, and there were two different average sets. Within these regions that are spoken of, these Anakim, the Nephilim, the Philistines, they had one set. The average Israelite, the male Israelite, is five foot five. The average one from the Nephilim, the Anakim, and all of these are six foot six. Now, if you were six foot six and you were going to, and, and you were going against a guy that's five foot five, what would you think if you were five foot five? Yeah, and so so Goliath is big. We know biblically in First Samuel seventeen, Goliath had the height of six cubits in one span, six foot six. Now imagine an 85-year-old man that wants to go fight Andre the Giant, who is seven foot four, or go fight Shaquille O'Neal, who is seven foot one. You're five foot five going against a guy that is seven four. Would you win? You're 85. Would you win? And Caleb says, "Bring him on." Oh, Lord bless you. And God rewards him. If you look at verses 13 to 15, it says, So Joshua blessed him, gave him Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephun, for an inheritance. Hebron became this inheritance within this. Joshua gave him the land and honored him and gave him or blessed him. And the word is Barak. Barak is the Hebrew word for blessing within this. And God invokes a blessing upon the faithful. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Notice, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual Blessing in every high place. To the faithful, blessings be to God, blessings be to you. To the faithful that is in us. And our greatest spiritual blessing is our redemption. It is the one blessing that we all have in common that we can claim. That at the end of this life, I can enter into that that blessing. I want to close with this passage out of 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 through 5 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus, there's an inheritance ready for you. And you may be traveling through a wilderness experience. And it may be a wilderness experience that takes you 45 years to get to that place, that end where you're finished where you can stand and be in that that place of claiming that inheritance. Do not quit. Do not give up. Have the heart of a lion like Caleb and say, I will go until there is no more go in me. I'm going to keep serving. Why? Because God is faithful to reward me with that promise. God has given you so many days. Everyone is different. What are you going to do with them? How are you going to serve? There is no retirement. But there is a blessing. May you hear that well done, good and faithful servant. May you receive that blessing for being faithful. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you that you promised that your faithful servants will be rewarded with a spiritual blessing. That blessing is not something that, that necessarily is here on earth. We, we are blessed by provision. We are blessed by protection. We are blessed by healing. But the real blessing is a spiritual inheritance that will never fade away, that will never be corrupted, that will never be lost. And in that day, that last day, whether it's the last day and you rapture us and take us home, or that last day that you call us out of a body that doesn't work. Lord, in that last day, we will receive our inheritance and that blessing of eternal life. A gift promised a long time ago to all those who would believe, ratified by the blood of Jesus, and set in eternity. We thank you for that. May we respond, Lord, to you with a heart of worship and praise even now. In Jesus' name, amen. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow.
as we surrender our life to you in active service. We know that God comes from a heart of love, fully dedicated, because you already love us. So Lord, may you take our lives. We look forward to that day when the battle is done and the war is finished and we stand before your throne of grace And we hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the inheritance, the reward that has been prepared for you before the foundations of the world. Come on in. But till that day, may we serve you with all our heart, soul, and mind. May we love others the same way you loved us. We praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen and praise Jesus. Have a blessed week. Thanks for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 630 p.m.
Warren Community Fellowship is located at 56523 Columbia River Highway in Warren, Oregon, between Scappoose and St. Helens. For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503-397-4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.